Chapter Six of Roman Color Detective by Grace and Harold Johnson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Six. The next morning, Tuesday, August twelfth, was fair and held promise of being another hot day. Muscles tagged behind Father Tim as he walked rapidly from the church to the rectory after eight o'clock mass. His thoughts were on the priest. Why had he been so quiet this morning? Even in the sacristy before Mass he hadn't even smiled. He sure seemed different. Muscles tried to think of any mistakes he had made during Mass the day before, but he felt sure he hadn't made any. And today he knew he had said the responses good and loud, the way Father always liked them. As they entered the side door of the rectory, Father Tim said, Go ahead, wash your hands. I've got to run up to my room. I'll be right down and we'll eat. The strong odor of frying bacon made Muscle's nose twitch when he passed the kitchen on the way to the lavatory at the end of the narrow hallway. Muscle's felt at home in the rectory. He often ate breakfast with Father Tim. Faintly he recalled that he had once lived in a house like this, a home with an upstairs and a downstairs, and a yard out and back, with grass in it. That was a long time ago, before his father died. But he liked where he lived now, with his mother, in the four rooms above the Franklin Cut-Rate drug store. It really was a swell place. From his bed in his room, he could look down on the street below, watch the people standing around talking, the cars going by, and the big guys from the high school horsing around. They talked so loud he could always hear what they said, and they were awfully funny, almost as good as the comics. Nobody had a chance to read more comics than he did, either. All he had to do was go downstairs to the drugstore, squat in the corner by the magazine rack, and read. Mr. Franklin didn't seem to care. Anyway, he had a kind of job there, sweeping out the store Saturday mornings and running errands after school. He pushed aside the white ruffled curtains and looked out toward the school after he'd washed. The windows shone clean in the morning sun, ready for another school year. It wouldn't be long until those same windows would be pasted with pumpkin cutouts. You could always tell what holiday was coming by the windows. A few minutes later, Muscles was seated with Father Tim in the dining room, a napkin across his faded jeans. It didn't hurt if he spilled on his old jeans, but Father said he had to use the napkin anyway. He remembered the time, he said. It's not only to catch the drips, Muscles. You may use it to wipe the egg off your chin right now. When Miss Kearney came in with the orange juice and cereal, she looked at Muscles and smiled. Your ears are like pink shells this morning. I bet your mother scrubbed them for you. Muscles looked up to examine her face to see if she meant it kind or cold. He decided it was kind, because it most always was that way. Yes, ma'am, he said, and when he saw Father Tim's frown, he added quickly, I mean, yes, Miss Kearney. Father Tim ate in silence. Muscles didn't like it, so he was glad when Father Kearney came back into the room with Father's coffee. I hope that phone call wasn't anything bad last night, Father. Father Tim sugared his coffee. It was. Very. Then he told her what had happened. Only once did she interrupt with a nod toward muscles. Little pitchers have big ears. Murder isn't exactly the right thing for... It's all right, Father Tim cut in. After the news comes out this afternoon, everyone in town will know about it. It's just as well that he hears the truth. It was when Father Tim mentioned that Bill had stopped at the sportsman's club that Muscle spoke for the first time. I know the guy that runs that place. His name is Lippy Santos. 
Father Tim looked up quickly, surprised in his eyes. How would you get to know him? Well, I don't really know him, if that's what you mean. I know who he is. He hangs around a lot with Big Dutch and Rocky down at the central bowling alley, next door to the drugstore. I see him a lot. One time he gave me a dollar for carrying a letter for him. Who'd you carry the letter to? Father Tim asked. A lady in the Hilton Hotel. I see. He's a real swell dresser, Lippy is, and he's got a big car and lots of money. Father Tim nodded. Big Dutch and Rocky work for Lippy, Muscles continued. He's their boss, but he's a lot smaller than they are. He's a pretty nice guy. He gives a lot of money away to people that need it. How do you know that? I hear guys talk about him down at the drugstore. Everybody says he's not stingy. I guess that's because he's got a lot of money. Speaking of money, I've got work to do. I have to go to the bank for change for the booths. Then looking intently at Muscles, he asked, You want to earn an honest dollar? Yes, Father. All right, then go over to the school and find Mr. Dutton. Tell him that I said you were to help carry folding chairs and set them up wherever he wants them. He gave Muscles the big grin he liked so well. You'll work for this dollar. Muscles grinned back. Okay, Father. At a quarter after eleven, Father Tim walked up to the teller's window in the Gulch and Trust and Savings Bank to get packages of nickels, dimes, and quarters for the booths. As he left the window, he saw Tedford Wilson standing in the doorway to his private office. Wilson beckoned to him and moved forward with outstretched hand. Dreadful thing last night, he said. Yes, it was, Father Tim agreed, knowing that Wilson had not called him just to make that remark. I wonder if I could have about five minutes of your time, Wilson added. I know that you are busy with festival plans and all. Father Tim glanced at his watch looked up and smiled. I am busy, but not in such a hurry that I can't spare a few minutes. Good. Come inside. Wilson closed the door and motioned Father Tim to a chair and then sat down behind his desk. He reached into a drawer and took out a box of cigars. Smoke? Not now, thanks. Wilson pushed the box aside and wet his thin lips. As I said before, that was a dreadful thing that happened at John Linton's home last night. Sam Blake was a fine man. Father Tim nodded. Yes, it was. I didn't know Mr. Blake, but I'm sure he was a good man. Father Kearney told me that of the three commissioners, he felt Mr. Blake had the public's interest most at heart. One of the best. Wilson wet his lips again. I just came from a talk with Linton over at the news about the reservoir. He's stubborn on this business and won't agree with the commissioners on the site. He's a member of your parish, isn't he? Father Tim nodded. Wilson leaned forward. I'll come right to the point. I'm as much interested in that dam as Linton is, maybe more so because I've got money invested in most of the industries in town. And these shops need water, lots of it. If this drought continues, they may have to shut down until we get some good rains. Now, for no good reason, Linton is booming the Hearts Corners site. It's a good one, I'll concede that, and it will impound more water. In years to come, if the town grows... We may have to build another dam there, too. That's Mr. Linton's objection, Father Tim said. He thinks one dam, located at Hart's Corners, will take care of both present and future needs. Your way would incur the expense of two dams. Wilson forced a smile. That all may be, but a dam built just below your church 
although it wouldn't impound as much water, will be quicker and less expensive to build. Father Tim wondered as he listened. Everyone in town knew these facts. Why was Wilson taking up his time for this recital? The appropriation for a dam was approved by the voters last spring, Wilson went on. Approval was given for the commissioners to select the site. It was probably an unusual way to put the matter before the public when the site had not been selected. Yes, Father Tim thought. It was unusual. Could it be that they had not wanted the matter of a site settled before the election? It looked as if these men thought they could force through the local site once the money was appropriated. But we save the money by not having to have a special election to get the approval, Wilson continued, although we did have to work fast to get it on the regular ballot. Linton has objected to the local site all along, and has delayed everything. His paper carries a lot of weight. The commissioners won't come right out in favor of the local dam until Linton quiets down on his opposition. Naturally, they have re-election in mind. Just how well do you know John Linton, Father Devon? We are very good friends. That's what I thought. Now how about you explaining this to him and trying to get him to see the light? Father Tim glanced at his watch. I'm afraid he knows more about this matter than I do. I see no point in my saying anything to him. But you can see my way of looking at it? It's a matter of opinion. You have yours, Mr. Linton has his, although I feel Mr. Linton's is far more foresighted and economical. Wilson twisted uncomfortably in his chair. I see you don't get the significance of my position. And he went on to repeat much the same argument. When he had finished, Wilson paused for a long moment and looked dubiously at Father Tim, wondering whether to continue. He leaned forward on his desk, lacing his fingers together in front of him, and smiled graciously. As I understand it, you fellows have a great deal to do with forming the opinion of your parishioners. They believe what you say. Now, if you were to go to Linton and point out to him that the local site is a logical one, I'm sure he would fall in line. Sort of crack the whip, as it were, Father Devon. Father Tim rose. He was angry, yet he didn't want his anger to show. I'm sorry, but you've been laboring under a misapprehension. We do no whip-cracking. A man of John Linton's intelligence is able to form his opinions without my help. That was a poor choice of words, perhaps, Wilson said quickly. The words are inconsequential, Father Tim said evenly. The thought was there just the same, regardless of how it was phrased. You seem grossly ignorant of the relationship between a pastor and his flock. We counsel solely in spiritual matters, and in my opinion, the location of a reservoir does not come under the heading of morals. Wilson stood uneasily by his chair, but... Father Devon, you misunderstood me entirely. I felt that if, perhaps, you would talk with Mr. Linton and get him to see how much better it would be to cooperate with the county commissioners in their plans, rather than to hold up the progress, it would be to the betterment of everyone concerned. If you could see your way clear to speak to Linton and get him to see the other side, I would be glad to make a substantial free will offering to your festival fund. Father Tim moved toward the door. I see I have stayed longer than I should. Good day, Mr. Wilson. The gears clashed as he set his car in motion and drove back toward the rectory. Wilson would never have had the audacity to approach Father Kearney with such a proposition, he thought. Had he handled the situation correctly? 
wouldn't it have been better to cut Wilson right down to the floor, instead of leaving quietly? No, that wouldn't have been charitable. End of chapter 6